Today on CityCast DC, maybe you heard Montgomery County's planning board quit last week in this huge, dramatic shakeup. Our pal Dan Reed is here from Greater Greater Washington. He's going to break it down for us. And lead producer Priyanka Tilbe is with us too while we talk Dan Snyder drama, which is always fun, and look through the final designs for DC's most ambitious urban park plan in years. Today is Friday, October 21st, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Dan Reed, you come from Greater Greater Washington, and you actually maintain a blog called Up the Pike about Columbia Pike, about Montgomery County. So this is like the perfect story for you. It is. I should note it's just up the pike. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's uh, okay. Well, at any rate, it's about, it is about Montgomery County, which is over a million people, suburban DC. Um, and when I hear, you know, planning board resignation, it's a kind of soporific effect, but this actually is a big deal and it matters. It matters to what kind of place we're all going to live in together, even if you don't care about planning and don't live in Montgomery County. So can you explain what happened here? That's right. So a lot of people aren't familiar with the planning board, but they do a lot. They oversee the county's park system, they review development proposals, and they create long-term plans for how communities should look in the future. They're appointed by the county council. So even though a lot of people aren't familiar with what they do, they have a lot of power in shaping the communities where we live. Right. And Montgomery County is one of these inner suburban counties that's had sort of a, are we going to be like a leafy suburb or are we going to be dense and urban and diverse? And that's like a big deal that's under their purview. That's right. This has been an ongoing conversation in the county and it's the planning board where this conversation basically happens. Anyway, what happened there, ma'am? So <laughs> it's been a pretty wild month at uh, Park and Planning, as the county likes to refer to it. There were a number of investigations into allegations of workplace misconduct involving a liquor cabinet, primarily. The chair of the planning board was serving drinks to other planning board members and planning department staff after work hours in his office. And I read that he had dozens of bottles. So it's not just like he had like the one casual whiskey bottle that you see in like Mad Men. It was a whole liquor cabinet. Well, they had a pretty big liquor cabinet in Mad Men, too, if I remember correctly. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. But I guess that's not really the model of a of a workplace, though, is it? <laughs> it's like that show is all about a bad workplace. There were a fair number of bottles in the cabinet, yes. The chair apologized and cleaned out the cabinet and even showed a picture of the empty liquor cabinet. But once the story had gotten out, there was an outcry. There was a fair amount of finger pointing ultimately culminating in the planning director getting fired on a Friday afternoon and the county council deciding it's time for all of them to go. And the following Tuesday, asked the entire board to resign. Okay, so what what's really happening here? Did they, did they really get fired over like drinking and planning? Or is there some other like bigger reason behind it or uh, lingering dissatisfaction? I think there was a concern that a lot of the drama around the planning board was distracting from the work that needed to be done and that it was not a good look for the county. Not just the liquor cabinet, but all of the allegations that were flying around, the rumors. Yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty bad. So then what happens now? Like, there's just no planning board right now? That's right. There is no planning board. So 
anything that would go to the planning board, such as a, a site plan for a new development or something like that, they all have to wait until a new planning board is put in place. So the county council asked for applications from people who wanted to be temporary planning board members. So basically, these are people who would serve for the next couple of months. And then there's an election in November. New council members will take office in December. And those people will then appoint permanent planning board members probably sometime in the winter. They've gotten about 120 applicants for the five planning board seats that are now open. Wow. What kind of people like apply for this kind of job? Dorks. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I say that as a former applicant myself with love. It's a variety of different people. There have been a number of former county employees, officials, a few planning board members from the past have applied. A number of folks who ran for office this past election and in recent years have applied, as well as a number of like civic advocates. These are people who have been really involved in neighborhood issues or bike issues or things like that, who already take interest in things the planning board does and naturally see themselves as a good fit for temporary planning board members. So break this down for us. Montgomery County has changed so much in our lifetimes from a sort of bucolic suburban county to a fairly urbanized one. What's ahead? What are the kind of forks in the road and what could the different choices mean? So right now, the county is looking at something called Thrive, which is the plan for how the county should grow and change over the next 30 years. It's been in the work for several years. It has a lot of recommendations that seem fairly benign, like there should be a new campus of Montgomery College. The one recommendation people are, have been concerned about is one that says we should look at opening up neighborhoods where you can only build a single family house today to allow more different kinds of homes like duplexes or townhomes and apartments. And because of that one thing, Thrive has been kind of controversial. The county executive has been vocally opposed to it. Many, I think, older, more affluent communities have been nervous about it as well. And so the county council is actually set to vote to approve it next week. And it'll be the planning board's job in the coming years to actually enact the recommendations in it to act on them, right? So it is arguably like the answer to the conversation of what's Montgomery County going to be, right? Is it a suburban place or an urban place? And we're turning the knob slightly more in the direction of urban with this plan. The two sides of, you know, I'm for this thrive or I'm against it. What, what are their, what are their reasons? So the folks who support thrive, and I might put myself in that camp, argue that Montgomery County is growing. We're supposed to add 200,000 new people in the next couple of decades. It's become a really expensive place to live. I think the median price of a single family home is like $800,000 now. And so this plan is basically saying as a way to accommodate the people who are moving here and accommodate high house prices, we need to make room for more homes, more different types of homes, more affordable homes, and especially in places that are near transportation and jobs and schools and all the things that people need to do. People who are opposed or uncomfortable with the plan have raised a lot of concerns about the fact that this will change the character and appearance of the county's more suburban neighborhoods, as well as communities that have not changed a lot. You know, even as the county has looked dramatically different over the past 30 years, many parts of it look the same for decades. And people naturally 
may like that, right? I think the county executive and other people who oppose the plan have been trying to say like, well, look at all the misdeeds of the planning board. Clearly, it means that anything that's ever come out of the department is flawed and we have to throw it out. Mm. And those two things aren't really related. Uh, You can make a mistake at work and still do a good job. And thankfully, the county council understands that. And that's why they're intending to vote to approve Thrive next week. So Elrich is saying like they were drunk when they planned it. Essentially, yes. And he's used that as part of his broader campaign to try and discredit the board and their work. You know, it's, it's I guess this was a thing in the election, the primary election that just happened, where you had this sort of like left versus left thing where like one sort of lefty argument was housing is ridiculously expensive and we got to build more of it in the name of enabling diversity and economic opportunity for people without a lot of money which sounds like good and lefty. And then you had this other argument associated with the county executive, who's to the left, which was, we don't want to give things away to these evil capitalistic developers, which, you know, in that vocabulary sounds lefty too, even if the effect is to keep county prices really high. Yeah, I think think there's a lot of concern on all sides that the county is becoming too expensive for people who want to come here or want to stay here. And there are very different answers about how you should do that. Does it slow anything down not having a planning board for the next few months, I guess you said? Well, it'll be the next couple of weeks, right? So the planning board looks at things like how should this new school be laid out or is this new development fitting in with the county's like requirements, right? So all of these like little proposals that come to the planning board every week just have to wait. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's in the county's interest to get this back and running as soon as possible because that backlog will only grow and projects will get delayed. Mm -hmm. So that's why the council wants to put in this temporary planning board next week and they'll serve for a couple of months. And then in the winter, we'll have a permanent planning board who will be able to maybe dig into some of the bigger issues that there isn't time to get into right now. Makes sense. Um, All right. Thanks, Dan. So let's talk about one of us. And once again, let's talk about Dan Snyder. He is a local figure you may have heard of. Uh, I have a theory. He's a a civic treasure. And hear me out. I think one of the key things a community needs to unite it is a a shared enemy. And Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Commanders, is, um, you know, there's six million people in the region. He may be the least popular single one of them, suburb and city and black and white and old and young and newcomer and not. They all seem to not like him. He's been the owner of the the football team for almost a quarter century, uh, since 1999. So I guess that's 22, 23 years. And, you know, for people who who are from around here, it's sort of hard to overstate how big a deal the football team was back in the day, how uniting a thing it was. And now it's, you know, for a lot of reasons, not just Snyder, it's it's less so. But this uh, ownership of his has been a sort of rolling disaster on a bunch of different levels. And in the last week, it's been like a rolling disaster in high speed on a bunch of different levels. Here's some things that happened. ESPN reported in this huge, sweeping, crazy story that, uh, among other things, Snyder, who has been under he's been under investigation for toxic workplace culture at the team. There's talk that uh, other owners will you know, discipline him or throw him out. There's congressional investigation because the NFL investigation was like hidden from the public, was never written down. And now there's another NFL investigation that they promise is going to be 
open to the public about other allegations. So it's wild. And also, uh, Virginia's attorney general had said that they were going to look into allegations of financial impropriety by right. the team. So there's another right, so, inter- investigation to that. So to there's the list. other like there's financial stuff that's like separate from the toxic workplace stuff, you know, or is it? I don't know. Anyway, ESPN reports uh, end of last week that Snyder has been telling people that he has dirt on fellow NFL owners and the commissioner of the NFL so that if they try to bring him down, there's going to be some collateral damage. That was the implication. He has, to be clear, denied this allegation. But the the idea is that he's got all these private detectives that he's sicked on on, uh, on other owners and stuff. So that happens. Then uh, earlier this week, the attorneys for a large group of, of women who have claimed to be have been wrongfully treated by the team in a toxic workplace environment have alleged that the NFL handed Snyder a list of uh, confidential uh, witnesses who had talked to investigators such that he might get retribution against them somehow. Another claim that's been denied, to be clear, but not a not a good look, as they say. And then at the uh, NFL owners meeting uh, on Tuesday, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts came out and said, you know, uh, there's merit to removing him and, you know, this might be time. And that's like a huge deal because I've thought like from the get go that all this like Snyder's about to be moved out. This is like wishful thinking by fans and that this is actually is a person who had a, a pretty firm grip and determination to not leave and that the owners wouldn't want to push him out because they all live in big old glass houses too and that maybe don't want to set that precedent. But this was like a huge deal. And again, uh, Snyder has uh, refuted it. If they were to kick him out, it would take 24 votes of the 32 owners and presumably Snyder would be a vote against. So that's still a lot of votes. But this is like, there's sort of as like accelerated and is just sort of a wild and 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 fascinating thing, and particularly you know not just for like sports fans, but you know I I do think that this team has historically been a a big part of the kind of civic culture of the region. Plus, you know I think a lot of people who just sort of wish him ill are enjoying the daily spectacle of watching him twist in the wind. Yeah. It, it feels like hating on Dan Snyder has replaced supporting the team as the great civic passion of this area. I think that's a really good way to put it. That's so true. Yeah, I got to say, I'm not a big sports person, not super into football, but um, I've been following the Stan Snyder thing pretty closely because it's just, it's like a reality show. And it's also like a like a, a crash that you just can't stop staring at. It just seems to get worse and worse every week. And some of the writing around it's really fun. I found this Washington Post column that was written earlier this week by Sally Jenkins. It is scathing. So Did you read it? Yeah. Um, there's a quote in the first paragraph. Snyder is long on bluster and short on everything else, including competence, and his duplicity has made him chronically distrusted. She also accuses him of using dated verbiage that only a panting junior executive would use. It's just like she's really like tossing the insults one after the other. um, And it's just fun to read, even if you don't care about football. Yeah, it's you know, I think that I mean, there's like big issues here, right, particularly in terms of like uh sexual culture of the team, toxicity, mm. and how you handle them or you don't handle them. I mean, the, the attorneys for uh, the women who have alleged mistreatment at the hands of the organization, these are, are big deals, Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz. And, you know, there is some sense of this is like a cultural moment beyond sports. There was a column I read, Drew McGarry's column this week, talked about how like maybe the other owners who are not exactly a bunch of angels have realized belatedly 
that Snyder is like the greatest scapegoat, that they can say, you know, everything wrong, you know, the concussions and the the greedy, like holding cities up to get more money out of them to build stadiums that nobody can afford to go to. It's all his <laughs> fault, man, um, which is, of course, not the case. And in fact, one reason that they are actually mad at him is that he, Snyder, is supposed to be getting a new stadium built, even though their current stadium is only like 25 years old. And he has, because he is so personally unpopular, he hasn't been able to get the local governments in DC or Maryland or Virginia to cough up the kind of like tax incentives and money and making your kids pay for a stadium that is sort of par for the course all over the country. And that again, it comes back to like, you know, where where we live, but but it's been a fairly impressive and fairly bipartisan array of local officials who've been like, hell no, man, we're not going to. I wish it was like they were just saying, hell no, we're not going to build stadiums for tycoons. I don't think that's actually the view. I think it's hell no, we're not going to build stadiums for this particular tycoon who is so terribly unpopular. Yeah. What will we do if Dan Snyder goes away? We're all just going to end up bickering over other things. We won't have that uh, thing that unites true. us anymore. We have to keep well, him I think around. There's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of fantasy football about if he were forced to sell, who would be your dream owner? Mm. So I don't know. Uh, like people say, maybe it should be Bezos because um, um, he'd have plenty of money. Um, and also an know. enemy that people can unite behind. That, that is true. That's <laughs> Let's talk about the 11th Street Bridge. And again, bear with me, people who do not intend to drive across the Anacostia on the 11th Street Bridge because you're actually not going to be allowed to drive across the Anacostia on the 11th Street Bridge. It's it's this incredibly cool project that's been in the works for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's supposed to be sort of, I don't know, like DC's answer to the High Line in New York. But can, can you, Priyanka, can you like, like describe it? Yeah. So they just released the final designs for the 11th Street Bridge. And I got to say, when you read their vision for it, it actually sounds pretty incredible. So I know that there are some concerns and reservations with this thing, but I want to start with the positive. So it's going to connect Navy Yard to Anacostia, which are two neighborhoods that are actually like physically so close together, but then divided by the Anacostia River and just don't actually get to interact that much. And so part of the hope is that this bridge will help facilitate that connection between the communities. Residents have been really involved in helping plan it. So that hopefully means that it's going to be something that people who live in these areas actually want and will use. It's going to be the size of three football fields. They're going to have a lot of different kinds of native trees. I am a big tree person. I've got a tree tattoo on my wrist. Um, And there's going to be 180 native trees. So cottonwood, oak, um, red maple, also lots of plants, which are intended to attract monarch butterflies and other beautiful insects that we can admire. There's going to be an urban agricultural garden. There's going to be a kayak and canoe launch area. There's going to be a solar-powered environmental education center. Like, it just seems like a really cool place to hang out, in theory. There's also going to be a 250-seat amphitheater where they'll have shows. They say they're going to have go-go concerts and spoken word poetry nights and things like that, and a big playground and a cafe. So when you put all of that together in what they're describing as a squashed X shape, (laughs) so that way you have um, some viewpoints on the, the four corners, it sounds really fun. That said, I mean... I live in Northwest and I always am so frustrated when I have to make my way to Navy Yard. It's just not the easiest place to get to if you don't live on the green yellow. And then you have to walk from the metro station quite a bit to get to this bridge slash park. And it's the same thing from the other side. So 
yeah, the question is like they're building out this really beautiful thing, but will people actually go there? And I know, Dan, that you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, I our office is a Navy Yard and I commute from Silver Spring, so I, I know the struggle very well. Part of the challenge with the park is it is located in an area that was formerly like industrial and not meant for people to get to, right? It was literally the Navy Yard. Mm -hmm. So today, it's not an area where a lot of people live very close to it. And to get to it, you'd have to walk you know, a long way either from the Navy Yard area or, An or Anacostia, underneath the Anacostia Freeway in 695, and then to the shore. When you get there, it'll be really nice. But the challenge is going to be making sure people have an enjoyable time getting to the park as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So a couple of years ago, when I was at Washingtonian, you did a story for me where you tried to walk there. And as you say, like cities have some ugly things, right? Particularly in the old days when they were, had industrial things, but they also have highways. And you got to put the ugly things someplace. And where they put them was kind of between where humans live and where this bridge is. And they made for obstacles that were kind of daunting. Exactly, right? Like in a lot of cities, you know, DC's waterfront had a lot of industrial uses on it. Not as many as a bigger city like New York or Philadelphia, but enough that it today creates barriers to getting to the water. You know, we've seen this amazing revitalization along the Anacostia River on the Navy Yard side, the Navy Yard and the wharf. On the other side of the river is Anacostia Park, which is a park. And then the freeway, which had the opposite effect, right? Instead of connecting those neighborhoods to the water, it was literally a barrier designed to keep those communities away from the water. And so all of these things now will in turn become barriers to getting to the 11th Street Bridge Park. It's amazing how close these two neighborhoods are as the crow flies mm -hmm. and how difficult it is to get between them. Part of that was intentional due to the city's history of, of segregation. The park is intended to address that, right, by uh, at least crossing one of the barriers, which is the river itself. So I got to say, I've sort of changed my mind on this. When I first heard about this, when you and I were talking about this like years ago, I thought this is another, like a pie in the sky. This will, you know, not happen that, I mean, even like Priyanka's description of it, like a solar powered environmental education station and a spoken word poetry. This sounds like a, like a red state person's parody of what blue state people are, are into. Um, but like the the wharf, right? I also thought like, man, that's awfully far away from Metro. And this won't, you know, I thought this is like, we're, this is, we're mocking the gods. This is the moment when it all comes, comes crumbling down. And it turns out it's been an enormous success. So, you know, it may be that people in Washington or people visiting Washington are willing to go all kinds of places. So I, this actually sounds like a thing that could become a, a big like hit and you know make the some of the more some make those obstacles uh between uh, where people actually are currently hanging out and where they where the bridge is make them seem uh surmountable you know that'll probably have some other scary effects in terms of gentrification and and stuff that that would be facilitated by that but i, I actually could imagine this thing being a huge huge hit no, that's that's true. And building bridges across the river, the nonprofit that is setting this up, actually does expect that this will be so popular that the neighborhoods around it could experience a lot of change, displacement and gentrification. And to their credit, they've done a lot of work to ensure that the people who live in those communities today can get to stay there, whether through 
assistance with people buying homes or you know supporting locally owned businesses and community organizations there has been a very intentional effort over the past decade or so to build both figural bridges with these communities to create community buy-in for this project and ultimately to create a place where people on both sides of the river feel comfortable going. So based on everything we've talked about, do you two think that once this park is ready, you will venture out there? Oh, totally. I work in Navy Yard now, right? So oh, yeah. I, I'm already there. I don't right. have an excuse anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, with 188 trees, how could you miss it? That's true. Yeah, I'm going to have to go out there for the trees. All right, and that's all for today here on CityCast DC. Dan Reed from Greater Greater Washington, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Do you guys have um, uh, fantasy local tycoons in mind? <laughs> Dan is no. thinking so hard. <laughs> I got nothing either. Yeah. There's just so many rich people to choose from. Where do you even start? It's so true. <laughs>